Real quick before we get started. If you're listening to this podcast, I have to assume that you're interested in all things related to street dance culture. In that spirit, I have to give a shout out to Q and the rest of the fine people on the Good Foot Podcast. From personal interviews to foundations of history to wide discussions about topics facing the culture, the Good Foot does its part to educate and entertain. Be sure to give them a like and listen after you finish following us, of course. With that said, on with the show. Also, we have a quick content warning for today's episode with a brief discussion on sexual assault in the dance world. As usual, this is nothing explicit. But if you're looking to skip around, the segment happens 36 minutes after the break and lasts for about six minutes. Drinking and Dance is committed to supporting all survivors on their paths to healing. And as always, we will be listing links in the show notes if you feel you need help and support on your journey. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. Said the long hair hippies and the Afro blacks. They all get together across the tracks. And they party on the good foot. You know they dance on the good foot. Ain't nothing going on now but the rent. A whole lot of bills and my money spent. And that's on my bad foot. You know my face getting short and I got the blues. I got a funky job and I paid my dues on the good foot. James Brown. No matter who we are, we all know what it means to feel like the earth beneath us is shifting due to hardship and unexpected pain. Very rarely can we prevent our lives from going sideways or escape suffering when it arrives on our path. What we can do, however, is to choose the foundation upon which we decide to stand in times of trouble. Do we rely on a higher power to care and provide for us? Do we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors and depend upon their guidance? Do we trust in our own providence and set our feet to dance to our own tune? Or is the answer somewhere in between? As we put our best foot forward, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. Hello and welcome back to Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. My next guest is a well-known dancer, scholar, teacher, and podcaster rep in Germantown, Maryland, by the way of New York City. A storyteller exemplifying Black excellence and artistry, he is a proud member of Camille A. Brown and Dancers, a Bessie Award-winning NYC-based dance company advancing stories and dialogues about race, culture, and identity. Dedicated to the raw and real for the communal ideal, he is the co-creator and host of the Good Foot Podcast, the Dominate from a Distance online battle, as well as the documentary Build and Shop, a tribute to living elders. 
His family emblem is a turtle interviewing a slightly more famous turtle. He imagines he's the best gamer to ever live, even though he certainly can catch these hands in Tekken. And his dream is to establish a hip-hop university, which he describes as, quote, Hogwarts and shit, except the RZA's headmaster, because Wu-Tang ain't nothing to fuck with. It is my profound honor and great pleasure to welcome my colleague and fellow podcaster, Keelan Q. Arnold, to Drinking and Dance. Q, welcome to the show. <laughs> Yo, that was magical, fam. That was magical. Good to be here. Good to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to finally get you on the show, my dude. Yeah, man. It's been a long time coming, yo. It's been I a long know. Time I know. How are, you, uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just uh, drinking this uh, lukewarm hot chocolate since it took us a little while to get this thing going. Whoops. <laughs> and... Oh, the audience got a peer behind the curtain. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, good nonetheless. You know what I'm saying? Good nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm blessed. The, the weather's warming up. And so taking advantage of some time in the sun and yeah I, I took a I actually got off of a five-week residency with Camille Brown and Dancers just two ago so that was pretty intense and great and I just needed a break so I ended up taking a good amount of time to just just rest and so just just getting back on the horse um, this week pretty much so feeling feeling pretty good about that there you go, man. That is awesome to hear. And yeah. um, yeah, I can absolutely relate. I just uh, quit my bullshit job that had been dragging me down for Woo! like nine months. So, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We yep. toast to that. Flying out in dead air. Well, yes. And I will be toasting with a yerba mate to keep in the sober vibe of this episode. So, uh, everyone at home and, of course, my esteemed guest, we raise our glasses to the sky. Cheers to your health. Cheers. Mm. So, now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, my first question, my new first question, uh, because I usually have like a few standard go-tos. I don't know if this works, uh, you know, for your show, but in mine, like I have a couple that I definitely want to get to. And one of them was, you know, essentially just like, what did I miss? And or, or what would you like to be asked, essentially? And mo a lot of guests came on and, and said, honestly, one thing I just want to be asked is, how are you? How are you doing in a way that isn't, like, just flippant? Like, I want someone to actually care and to actually, like, listen to what that, that means for me personally. So in that spirit, uh, even though we just did that customary greeting, I just want to circle back and ask you, how are you mentally, physically, spiritually? How are you doing? Yeah, I appreciate you opening the space for for that. I am blessed and highly favored, seeking to always remember that, which is the mm. hard part. And <laughs> Word. We're just coming off of Easter Sunday. I'm a, a follower of the way, a Christian follower of Christ. So got to be with my family, which was mm. awesome and just have a, a week with them and also got to celebrate Easter. And uh, for, for me, that ends up being a reminder about the, the gospel of, of God and Jesus Christ and um, 
so ended up watching Passion of the Christ for Woof. the second time in my life. And uh, it's been it's been 15 years at least since I've seen that. And that mm-hmm. joint that joint is heavy. That joint is a heavy deep. Um, whether you're a believer or not, I think the the Jesus story is a pretty it's just a good story. Um, mm. if you're if you're into if you're into that kind of stuff and it to, to watch it mel gibson uh, the producer of it just did a great job of making some of very insanely visceral uh, mm. so so yeah grounded in that and and finding joy from there to to get on to this uh next next aspect i always i call i call these things seasons so i feel like um, I'm coming from a season of rest and into a season of just more productivity and focus. So I'm excited to to embark on that. So yeah, feeling feeling rejuvenated, feeling feeling nervous because at the beginning of anything, it's like, oh, am I actually going to do it, or am I going to keep sitting <laughs> on my behind and like watch and Oh, by the way, oh. I'm not even a Tekken player, so get at me. Uh, <laughs> uh, See, this is the thing, like, um, being raised up in, in King Charles's crew, like, yeah. Charles is um, very serious. He's a very serious man right, uh, right. when it com- also when it comes to his faith, like yourself. Um, but aside from that, it's his faith, uh, his relationship with his lady, mm. and footwork and then video games so it was like we would we would battle for hours in los angeles right and then we would go to somebody's house and battle for more hours uh just whooping each other's ass on uh tekken mortal Kombat, street fighter etc um it was vicious and like i spent years like trying to trying to beat this man like years couldn't couldn't fucking touch him right yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, he 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 would zen out. It was crazy. Um, he's nothing. He's nobody he, to mess with, yo. Because I ended up in most like <laughs> I ended up seeing him with a Marvel cap, and I uh-huh. was like, "Oh, word!" Like he's like, "Word." <laughs> then he ended up showing me like his whole collection, and I was like, "Oh, you're a serious dude, like, bro, bro." <laughs> the first time I ever showed up to a private lesson with him private training uh he was wearing an x-men cap Mm -hmm. and i was like oh shit i think i'm gonna get along with this dude and i had no idea how deep that fucking rabbit hole went and it was wonderful and i have that like he gave me that cap uh like when i left los angeles oh snap but yeah back to those back (laughs) (laughs) yeah in some ways i guess um but back back to the video game thing i i years later came back to los angeles for a few days to um uh bring my protege into the crew like to have her battled in so uh one of those days we went over to charles's apartment and he had dead or alive five and he was like very excited to play with us right so we all like did rounds and shit and i don't know what happened but i ran a motherfucking train on him on my protege on on kyle who was in my uh protege's uh uh, boyfriend and yeah. also co-host of after hours like i was like 12 12 to 15 rounds like undefeated wow. right and i have never seen charles as quiet <laughs> as he was 
when that happens. That and for a little, like I was all, I, I swear to God, I was like, this man's going to throw me out of his right. house. <laughs> I'm, I might be out of the crew. <laughs> swear, swear the protege is you get it kicked out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fucking epic high drama. Um, I just wish I was a fly on the wall to witness that. My man oh, was man. hella Saudi. But yo, you deserve that I... joint, man. You said years. Years, years, fucking years. So um, yeah, I think I need to like start playing Dead or Alive. <laughs> Seriously, never, I think that yeah, might I've be my game. That. I've never hit Dead or Alive. You, the, the fighting games in general, like I've usually when I'm playing Johns, I'm like by myself. So like I haven't heard, I haven't played with anybody in person in a long time since I was a kid pretty much um mm. so the 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 street fighter the tekken like all those games are dope when i'm playing somebody i know you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. otherwise i don't play them and actually same with the sports games like i've been on madden recently and the only reason i got onto madden again i haven't played in years was because my little bull my cousin jalen he's like I used to beat up on him as when he was a little kid, like crazy. <laughs> and so he's still Saudi from when I, I was killing him like eight years ago. And so he's coming to me as an adult, like, yo, come and see me on these sticks, Q. I'm like, oh, it's like that. So he whipped my behind a couple of times. And so I'm like, all right, it's on. We got a league going on now and everything. Uh, and I'm like addicted yeah. to that joint now. So I mean, he needed that to heal. That was, that <laughs> right. was some childhood wounds. That was some trauma. Right, right. That was some internalized he, shit. He really he held on to it. He really held on to it. <laughs> it shaped him as a man. It did, yo. It's serious out here. <laughs> Y'all don't understand. I don't doubt it. Um, so uh, getting a little more into the formal vein, if we might, um, who inspired you when you were coming up and who inspires you today? Inspired me coming up up i have to go with the first person who just took me to another world live and that would be lil o virgil gadsden um i've told him a couple of times now when i entered my first battle i was at penn state university and the student organization that i was a part of ram squad they hold a, a joint called Rhythm Spotlight every year. And so I entered, I entered in and at the like very last moment, we're in the the last pretty much heat of the prelims. And all this like a Philly crew rolls through. So like Lil Low, Smart Park, um, a couple other people come through. And everybody's like, oh, look who showed up. Look who finally showed up. And so Lil Lo <laughs> comes next to me and for this last prelim round. So we go through the prelims. I go up. I'm horrible. You know, it's my, I, I think I was dancing for about a year at that point at that. And <sighs> I end up sitting back down. He comes up. And um, what's this song, the Jay-Z joint? Uh, what you got, Lil Mama? Hey, what you got oh. for a lady? Hey, what you got, shorty? Shorty, yeah. Yeah, now uh, hands up and wave. Now wave. And wave. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Dumb, right? 
And so that joint comes on, and yo, that bull, Lil' Low, just like, he just took us on a ride. He took us on a ride. It was it was a journey where like he just had the crowd eating out the palm of his hand. And mm-hmm. I just remember looking at him and being like, wow, I want to be able to move people like that. Um so yeah, that that's one of the first inspirations. And then inspiring me now. Ooh, there's so there's so many. Um I I have to go I have to go with Sibo at the as I said there there's many um but to just keep it short I got to go with uh Terry Carr Sibo uh shout out and yeah shout out to him and all that he's doing just his I mean dance wise absolutely like dude skills is like crazy what well, with all a lot of the elders yo like they're still just being able to dance. Like I, I grew up in academia as far as dance is concerned. And so, yep. you know, the Eurocentric ballet kind of mentality has, and <sighs> even in hip hop, it, it's a youth centric type of thing, right? So mm-hmm. there's this whole thing about, hey, when you get up, when you hit 30, when you hit 35, like when you hit 40, oh no, like your career is over, right? That's it. And so I'm coming to New York City with that mentality on a kind of subconscious level. And like mm-hmm. the our elders are just blasting that concept out of the water, yo. Like they're getting 30s, 40s, 50s, and still rocking it out, killing it and doing their thing. And so there's that's no different with Sibo. It's just like, yo, how are you still doing that? <laughs> um I mean shit, Archie's in his 60s. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And still killing it. Still the game. killing it. And it's amazing, yo. So that's just so inspiring. But then off the dance floor, it's just the things that he's able to do, uh, you know, owning his own studio in Japan from afar, having a, a, being with his family and like being a a dad, um, being able to, to just own his own stuff um, and having his own house and next gen and like, it's just yep. and then just being such a light in the community as well right and holding it down uh socially and politically in that regard uh there's just so many different roles that that he holds and holds it well and with excellence so i i told him recently i was like when i first came into expg exile professional gym um which are rip to them because they just uh i don't know if you heard they uh left out of new york city they closed um, and sorry to hear it um i got I'm, to teach there i'm once. i'm not but i appreciate that you are i'm i'm <laughs> i'm totally tired of uh the of other of other cultures owning stuff and using hip-hop culture black and brown culture to exploit for money um yes sir so, and we are absolutely gonna go deeper into that one yeah so I, I'm, I'm not totally it. sorry i i'm i think that there's gonna be stuff to fill it um the the community constantly shifts and reshifts um it's mobile and malleable like that so we'll we'll figure it figure out another hub uh as it always has 
Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sorry about it. But um, yeah, no, and I, I want to clarify too. It's not like I'm like weeping or anything. It's just one of those I saw, like when I, we I go... heard the tear roll down the cheek. Oh yeah, that single <laughs> tear. It splashed against the microphone. Um, but it, it like the organization. I mean. I have things to say about it, but at the same time, like whenever my crew has like gone overseas, they've definitely like taken care of uh, our people. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 a complicated thing for me, but it's not like too complicated. Like, I absolutely agree in regards to. um, And this is me representing another culture myself, but in terms of like, you know, uh, people who are not of the culture staking a claim and profiting. is definitely problematic. Right. Right. And yeah. yeah. And maneuvering it's maneuvering in a specific way, right? It's all about intention. Yes. And so yes, just being kind of a fly on the wall at times and then being somebody who has sought to be a part of their system and their culture for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I've gotten to just see and witness and feel uh, some of that intentionality. And that has not gone over well with me. Um, mm. but anyway, the, the reason why I bring EXPG up is because there is, a, that's the first time I saw SIBO and I walk into their lobby and SIBO's walk that one of the classes just ended and SIBO's walking out of a classroom. It's just like, yo, 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 what's up? What's up? Everybody like, Hey, party people, blah, 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 blah. Just like the energy was like. <laughs> like right away i was like yo that's the kind of light that i want to hold in this community um and be Mm. in this community so um from from jump it was just like yeah like i need to to be in conversation and in relationship with this dude excellent and um what for those who haven't seen you dance uh what styles do you currently use to express yourself I am training within house. I've uh, trained in popping as well. Those are pretty much my that and hip hop party rocking. Um, mm-hmm. Those are pretty much the my trifecta. Solid. And as far as um, the street and club dance is concerned, because then you could do the whole postmodern stuff and uh, some well, of the Eurocentric yeah. aspects too. But I don't know if we're in that context, but. Uh, well, I mean, if that's what you use to express yourself, then that absolutely works. I mean, part of the thing with this show is like finding those links uh, between all these little facets outside of just this narrow view um, that a lot of people have of uh, this dance world, this dance culture, this black culture expressed in modern vernacular. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, yeah, so I have to uplift that part of me, too. So um, yeah the the ballet theatrical jazz um postmodern modern training definitely lives in my body as well um then like even even the more the general vernac black and brown social dance um vocabulary of just like playing around with like jump rope movement playing around with hopscotch movement i'm going really into like camille brown and what she does um really really influences me as well um and so then all of that stuff is amalgamated in my expression as i'm seeking to carve out my own voice and understand what that is um and, the well, and that's and, and sorry to cut you off it's, you um 
Monsell said something very similar. He's talking about um, where all of these uh, vernacular dances come from. Um, and he's saying like, to find your own style, you don't need to be like copying like other people. Like what you need to do is examine the gestures that you already do day to day. You know, like a lot of these dances just come from things that uh, black and brown people were just doing in their daily. Right. You know, and then they just tweak that and, and used it in their dance. Right. So like the jump roping, the hopscotch, roller skating, et cetera, like all that lives through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like one thing I feel for my experience, like I didn't grow up in in dance with like a crew or anything. I've never been a part of that um, kind of familial nepotistic culture. And so for me, it's always been or often been like training um, outside of like my my everyday kind of feel like the dance training side of things was has never been kind of just like a natural thing I wasn't mm. like it wasn't just a part of my lifestyle to like go to the club or it wasn't just a mm -hmm. part of my lifestyle to just be chilling on the the porch listening to music and dance happening there were certain mm -hmm. uh, there were certain aspects of like okay like a barbecue or stuff like that um but even as I'm thinking about training, I'm like, those, those things are like, I, I feel like a part of the training for a lot of at least elders that I look up to are like, yo, we were just doing that thing. Like we were a part of a culture that does that. And mm. I don't feel that nearly as much. Um, it always feels like I go I'm I'm trying to graft the the like a dance culture like it's um or it's like dance as practice dance as practice in a environment that doesn't just naturally exist around me I'm like in my basement doing whatever um but training but like I'm not a part of a community that's doing the same together um and so I'm constantly, I'm, I've come to New York City to, to find that thing, um, which I think is happening slowly but surely. Um, and so that's definitely something that, that I've, been, I've been starving for. Well, God knows, as um, a white guy who grew up in white culture, I absolutely can connect with some of what you're saying, a lot of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any sort of connection to this until you know, until I reached my twenties. Um, but it was always something I wanted because of things that I'd been shown, uh, through popular culture. Um, and so th that brings up like an interesting point for me, because I have like, on listening to your show, uh, heard you refer to yourself in many ways as a guest. So I'm wondering if you ever feel that, um, a sort of conflict between, um, how do I want to put this? Like this, this feeling of being an outsider um, in something that is also many would argue part of your birthright as a black man in America. Right. Like, how does yeah. that, like, does any mm -hmm. of that resonate with you? No, it does. It does. It's a, um, it's a thing that I'm constantly wrestling with. I think 
from the get-go, like, when I was younger, it was, so, like, my parents, I moved around a lot. Mm. I've never had a place to, like, call home outside of my family. Wherever, home is always where my family was. Uh, but I, I never had an environment mm-hmm. that was, like, that I was just so familiar with, right? Um and so I'm constantly jumping around being guests in other people's homes. Mm. And so there's, there's an aspect of me doing the same with New York City and that's in its street club dance community that I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not from here. Mm-hmm. You're right. I had I I wasn't here in the '80s when this thing was created. Um, uh, I I didn't come from uh, a lot of tropes that end up um, creating the you know original hip hopper or um, a person from a black and brown person from New York City specifically. I didn't have that thing. Um, and so I'm coming from a middle class, middle to upper class, uh, mostly suburban, um, Christian uh, family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that has rubbed up in opposition against mainstream, my understanding or my experience of mainstream Black culture. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm thinking about I'm thinking about my time in Philadelphia. Uh, I lived there for three years, and I just had such a hard time. I was called the white boy. I was called the Oreo. I was too. Um, my, I was trying to like fail class, not fail classes, but not do so good in class so that I could fit in. Um, there was multiple stuff that I was seeking to perform mm. in order to to be who I thought the other black kids wanted me to be. Um, and it got so bad to the point where my parents plucked me out Damn. and they literally moved me to the burbs um, because of it. And that was a huge identity and culture shock. Damn. Um, so, so that's all to say that this, this thing of, being a black and brown person myself and thus being a part of a lineage and owning that um, versus claiming this like guestship mm-hmm. is really, is really tough. Um, and so I've, I've reconciled it with, and it's ever growing. The reconciliation is a process, but I've reconciled it with, okay, this is my this is my heritage. This is my lineage. And I I I'm a part of that lineage. I'm continuing that lineage. Mm. I'm committed to mm. that and thus I will claim it. Um simultaneously, I am a guest in the New York City community. And I think I would any any street and club dance community I would consider besides Ram Squad at Penn State University. Uh, misfits at Penn State University, uh, again, a student organization, and that's about it. Other than that, I'm a guest of those 
these communities. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'm, I think a big part of my, my purpose is to put some, put some positivity on that label mm. because it's not a, it's not a negative thing. Although I think often there's a lot of slight about being labeled or called a guest. Um, so yeah yeah well I mean and you know I'm I'm very clearly a guest myself but I've never for me personally and it's obviously you and I have vastly different experiences but there are a lot of similarities Um, for me personally like I've always um, been honored to be considered a guest like to be considered worthy of being a guest in this house for me has always been an honor that I've never taken lightly um because I do come from privilege in many ways, shape and form. Um, and because, you know, a, a lot of uh, people in the community have helped me um, for no other reason than, you know, they, they saw something that they enjoyed and wanted to, to, to nourish, but like it wouldn't immediately like uh, be of any benefit to them. You know, so to, to have that label right. as guest, I've never, for me personally, never identified with it as an insult. So I always, when I see other uh, white or non-black uh, people of color in the culture uh, getting offended over that, that's always been a puzzling thing for me. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, we, <laughs> we are all blessed to be here, to partake in right. a culture that, you know, doesn't fucking need us you know right, right. Yeah. um but that's you know that's that's my personal take on it um i appreciate <laughs> that i feel like i as you as you were mentioning that i was also thinking of somebody else who inspires me right now of why d-boy why not shout out and to tony him yeah yeah yo shout out <laughs> shout out because that dude is he he claims that and owns that and like rocks it out and like puts excellence on guest shit, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, woo, I'm trying to be a guest. Yeah, like same. I mean, I so, look up to him for the exact same reason. Um. So yeah, there, there ain't no shame. Hell in yeah. Uh, so anyone who's familiar with your work knows you to be a, a master educator. Like you're very serious and committed to uh, the each one teach one to to spreading that light. Um, and you are also, as you've mentioned, uh, a product of higher education. Uh, I am as well. You went to Penn State. I went to the University of Iowa. Um, that's when I got my dance degree after studying theater. Come on, Big Ten. Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, but it was one of those, like, and I back then did not nearly, like, I was not connected to the real yet. I was very mm-hmm. much, like, locked in a very privileged position and uh, certain ideas of, what this dance is and what the culture is and a lot more like a lot more of the multicultural origin story fantasy thing that um gets spread Mm -hmm. around um but even then like i got extremely frustrated in how curriculums were structured and this was back in you know 20 the early 2010s um of like you know very eurocentric based if you wanted to get a degree in dance you needed to be training in ballet or modern. And if you wanted to have any sort of training in um, any sort of uh, diasporic dance, um, anything from black culture uh, or African culture, that was like an elective and you'd get 
at most like uh, an hour or two like final you know uh, credits and shit and so there was very clearly this hierarchy and it very much pissed me off um and Mm. and i also remember that you with your episode when you interviewed uh seiku you were telling me about an experience uh, telling me me the listener you were telling the listeners <laughs> hey us. i'm glad i'm glad you felt like you were in the room come on man i've listened to a few of your episodes and now it's weird actually talking to you live where somebody's you know i'm not just talking to the wall <laughs> when i hear these questions um but i heard you you know you you mentioned this experience of like being in this classroom where black dances were being taught and it was an all white uh classroom and just having this feeling of um, there was this this uh, I forget the the words that you said, but it it, it sounded very painful on your part of um, seeing all these white people partaking in black culture, and at the same time like not feeling like they would support like the people mm. who created it. Mm. And I'm paraphrasing mm. heavily, so maybe you can uh, clear clean that one up for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm remembering the I'm remembering the instance. It was this it was this moment in academia where this brother, this amazing dude, um he is teaching a pretty much it was either all or close a uh, heavy majority uh Caucasian white and it was just so joyous. It was absolutely just liberating and amazing and all that it should be Mm. and simultaneously my critical mind couldn't shut up the fact that or not the fact but the projection of but like like we're giving we're giving you this like this is a gift Mm. and you're I bet you're taking it for granted Mm. because you're not doing any of the work to understand the, the tribulations, the trials, the pain that allowed you to stand here receiving this gift. Um, And, uh, and allowing us uh, to, because I'm a part of that too. Um, I'm a, I'm a receiver of the gift as well. And so I'm just so that that moment of of just like being in this space, this joyful space, and being like, wow, this joy feels like it's being so taken for granted, just like really hurt. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I can appreciate uh, you, the words you've chosen to describe that about you know this being your projection, your belief of what you were witnessing. At the same time, like I, th- I, I'm pretty confident I can I can add a little bit of validation to that because when I was in college, when I was uh, taking some of those same classes, I can say for myself that I definitely wasn't doing the work. Like mm-hmm. I, at that time, I still thought uh, the idea of white privilege was bullshit. You know, it mm. it was this really. You know, I was in relation. I was in a deeply committed relationship with a black woman, and I still like had all this fucking. Uh, bullshit that I um, uh, upheld, albeit unconsciously, but still, you know, so I think it's a very safe assumption to say that, yeah, there were probably good share of those students who did not fully appreciate what it was they were receiving. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate the the openness about that. 
with your experience? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important. I think it's very much critical for all of us who are guests to have a very, um, I mean, I can't say objective because that's kind of beyond the, the scope of human capacity, but I think it's important right. for us to attempt to be very clear um, about where we're coming from so we can figure out where to go next. Um, but in the other part of, uh, in regards to your experience in the, uh, the ivory tower, um, what, what mm-hmm. drew you to the path of higher education and how does that affect your approach to dance? I, <laughs> I don't think I had a, had a choice. <laughs> my, my dad was very much so, I mean, education is just something that has been so drilled into mm-hmm. me i didn't i didn't feel like there was any other option to go anywhere but college after after high school mm-hmm. and it was just a matter of like where am i getting money you know how much money am i getting that i mean that that's literally like his words of like whether college is not an option mm. <laughs> how we're, we're we're seeking to understand how much money we can get you um so that you can you can go for for free but whether you're going or not no um so when i got into penn state i came in on a full academic scholarship for forensic hey summer. look at you yeah you know i got i got i got, I got a little smart yeah, stuff in here. well i mean um, anyone listening it's, it's to you talk knows that <laughs> that's that's osu that's ohio state if anybody wants to wants to uh claim something with ohio state it is that there's some smart smart artists in that program um so shout out to them but and thank you um but yeah i i got it just it's just really praise god um it, it's really just a pure pure blessing that i got that scholarship um but uh as, as after my I was I was doing horribly my my first year my freshman year partly because I was just a lazy bum but also partly because I was so focused on dancing and it just came it came it felt like it came out of nowhere um, so I got introduced to this this student organization Ram Squad and it was the first time I saw any kind of dance community that I've been dreaming about since I watched like you got served or any of the the hip-hop poitation movies, <laughs> uh, dance movies um so when I got when I experienced that everything was going as far as academics was going down as I'm just like focused on this thing and I'm like okay I'm at the point where it's getting so bad I need to make this thing called that everybody's calling distraction my focus. Um, so I end up switching my major, and fortunately, I was able to keep my scholarship yeah. through that. Now that's also a blessing. I just got to <laughs> brag on God because that's also a blessing because I didn't even nobody else was allowed to do that. There's plenty of people in, who were in my program who had that scholarship. You were not technically allowed to do that but I was under the grace and under the wing of a amazing Uh faculty member at that time who gave me the scholarship in the first place and so he ended up allowing me 
to to bending the rules for me to switch to art while I ended up keeping my scholarship. So, um, so yeah, I I ended up getting into dance in higher ed in that way. I was just like, I don't know what else I want to do. Mm. All I'm doing is dancing. Um, I'm literally sleep like sleeping all morning, missing all my classes, getting up headed down to the the rec room dancing waiting until my the ram squad comes through dancing with them and then the rec room closes i go into an empty dorm room and i'm dancing there and so um so yeah after after three years of that i was just like okay well i want to i know i got to continue training i love this thing that i'm doing but I'm not ready. I didn't feel ready to go into the professional world yet. Um, and that was dance skill wise mm. and maturity wise. Um, I literally was like, if I go into the dance world right now, I will burn bridges <laughs> with my personality. <laughs> so I was like, I need a safe space <laughs> to, to keep growing. And grad school ended up get, being an option uh, that teachers were recommending. And so I was like three years in, little experience, young kid, just coming out of undergrad uh, within these street and club dance forms that are not very prevalent in mm. 2013. Uh, there, I was like, let's, let's try it. And bragging on God again, I, I end up getting a, a full scholarship and some to, to Ohio State University. Um, which is considered to be a pretty t- a pretty top notch school in regards to dance. Um, so so yeah, that it just ended up being God was just putting putting a path before me uh, to to learn dance within that institution these institutions and simultaneously, especially at Ohio State, as I became just more inquisitive and uh, critically thinking, I was like I saw all the holes. Right. I was I was understanding how I my body and my um, presence was being mm. marginalized, how hip hop and street and club dance was being exploited mm. through me. Um, and so I was viscerally experiencing uh, all the bull that was happening in those institutions while also understanding how amazing it was at the same time. Um, and so I ended up cultivating a calling in that way of like, yo, I gotta, I gotta help to shift the philosophies and the structures in these places. So, um, yeah, that's how that That is fantastic. And also, um, a weird thing about how tribalism works. Like I'm sitting here, I'm listening intently to your story. And then you're talking about, uh, Ohio state university as a top notch school. And I'm like, as the university of Iowa, I'm sitting here like my, my like immediate reaction in my head was like, yeah, they're okay, I guess. And then I'm sitting here, the sitting here like, what the fuck? I don't even give a fuck about this shit. Like I didn't care when I was in college. So that's some silly shit. Um, so that we're gonna we're gonna take a sure. we're gonna take a real quick break <laughs> real. uh to refresh our drinks stretch our legs y'all know the deal uh my guest today is the uh co-founder and co-host of the good foot podcast which i've mentioned on this show many times the um incomparable keelan q arnold um it's a pleasure to have you man and we will be right back 
And we are back. My guest today is the Good Foot Podcast's uh, co-host and co-creator, Q Arnold. Uh, Q, how you doing, man? I'm blessed. Blessed to be here. Blessed to be blessed. here. How are you feeling? I am feeling uh, similarly blessed. You know, um, I I was going to get into this in a second, but uh, it's it's really crazy to think it was around this time last year that uh, you actually shouted me out um on on instagram mm-hmm. because at that time like i you know my my podcast was out for a couple of weeks and i did not know anybody else in the community that had one mm-hmm. uh i was looking around and somehow i missed yours so when you like when you shouted out and like basically like welcomed me uh to the game uh literally uh i was like oh that's fucking astounding how did i miss this you know, and I went onto your 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 library and, and Spotify, and I'm like, "Oh shit, okay, they've been going for a minute." I am embarrassed, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I always always appreciated that uh, that welcoming uh, attitude because um, back then I was fucking terrified and I had no idea what I was doing. Yo, yo, we we all been there, right? Like we've all yeah. been at a place where we're just beginning and we're like looking around and being like, yo, like I'm gonna do this. I like this, but like, it would be cool if I had some help or it had some support or it had like something. <laughs> and I, I know that that's what I want. You know what I'm saying? Like when I'm jumping out in faith or jumping out into something scary into unknown territory, I always desire to have, you know, some people linking arms with me. So, uh, yeah, from the from the jump, I was like, "Oh snap! This is dope that somebody else is doing this. Is on this train ride. Um, we can we can move through this together because you already know we have many conversations around how important it is to get our stories out into the out into the atmosphere, um, into the digital sphere, and um, just uplift uplift the community." And so mm. it, it's just been something that I have too looked around and been like, why is it this happening more often? Why isn't this normalized? And mm. so to to then see you have come through with a similar philosophy, I'm like, whoa, bet. Like I've been looking, <laughs> I've been like even Emily, Emily Petruska, who ended up uh founding it with me, the good foot with me, it was like she I had just come off of the the building shop documentary which is also a team effort with Castro David Castro SIBO and financial funding from Ohio State shut up I had just come off of that and it I, it was in my mind where it's like yo we got to do this more we got to like be getting our, the the stories just out regularly and how am I going to do that and the podcast was an idea and somehow I just I was probably just dreaming of it somewhere verbally and Emily ends up coming up to me later uh and is like hey I I remember you said something about about doing that and it's on my heart to do it too and I was like whoa like somebody who's willing to do the work in conjunction with the vision let's go because in my experience that's just really hard to find it's hard to find good people willing to do the work for the vision and so when I saw you do that same thing, I'm like, bet, like, however I can make it easier um, and uplift the work, uh, I- I'm going to do it. So 
I appreciate you just con- doing it then, getting on board and like continuing to do it. So I appreciate yeah, you man. for that. I mean, your, your initial support and just the body of work that you released already uh, was just um, in, what, what is the word I'm looking for? It uh, invaluable, invaluable to the survival of this show. Um, like, and, and it's, it's funny you should mention it too, because I've been having discussions lately uh, with quite a few dancers that have been talking about starting their own shows. And I'm like, yes, do it. If you have questions, let me know. You can pick my brain. I will help you however I can. If you're a dancer who's listening to the sound of my voice right now and you've been wanting to do this shit, holla at your boy. Uh, Instagram, Rob underscore Celtic. uh, Hit me up. Like I am. And, you know, like uh, Professor Locke, who I've worked with quite a few times. um, I did his six week groove therapy course, um, which y'all can listen about on the the lab sessions portion of the show. Uh, He's he's in the process of starting his own show. Um, I think he's the only one I'm like at liberty to mention because I don't want to like put everybody else's business out <laughs> until they're ready. But I mean, there's 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 more and more of us, um, and you know, it's quite in the in the in the dance world, especially like modern vernacular street dance. It's very common to be a competition with one another. It's very common to um, kind of be going for people's throats, and in a way, that's that's cool because it's like. It, for me, I never really took that personally. It was one of those mm. like, all right, this person's going to push me to be better, mm. you know? Battle um, mentality. Yeah, it's absolutely battle mentality. But like, that's not the case with this. Like I, you know, when, when we had our first discussion and I kind of explained where I was coming from, you were like, oh yeah, bet. Like the more people uh, sharing different facets of this story, the better, because there's so much to this grand story of, of uh, dance as black cultural dance that no one person is going to have all the pieces exactly exactly so the more people getting out there and 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 adding to the great web you know the better and that's the thing right like as you're like yes to all of that and the thing is as we continue to grow in the amount of people who are doing these things it's really important to do the research of what already exists to reach out to you to reach out to me about this this kind of whoever else is doing this stuff reach out to seiku i know seiku's doing this with the street dance history and all that stuff mm-hmm. like reach out to these people and listen to what has already been done because it does go so deep that we don't need to keep hitting the shallow aspects of it right like when I think of, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm thinking about uh, the Great Migration and how the Great Migration has influenced Boogaloo and then to popping. Um, Oof, and yes. so it's like, that needs to be told. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and there's so many aspects of our country's history that totally informs how dance has shaped our, our being today uh, that needs to be told. So I'm excited. I'm excited for people to uh, tell tell their own stories and putting that in the pot, and then also going out and figuring out what what is this this map that this this um, yeah this map of that that we stand upon. Um, I, that I nerd out on that stuff. It gets me so excited. 
Oh, dude, same. And like, I don't know about you, but after I have like a particularly good interview, like I am high for the rest of the day. Mm. Like I will walk out of my uh, little home studio and just like be fist pumping and shit <laughs> and like, you know, yeah, killed the shit out of that episode. Right. And, you know, and it's also like um, we have this particular moment in time where a good number of our legends are still alive. Right. As opposed to the Lindy Hop and and uh, vintage vernacular jazz uh, dance communities, where you know Frankie Manning's been dead for um, quite a few years now. Uh, we lost Norma Miller uh, two two years back. Um, yeah, rest in power, rest in paradise, peace, all that shit. Like, so we we still have most of our legends alive and available to us. And if we do not get on that, if we do not find these people and get their stories and and record them for posterity because that's the thing that that was for me personally i was like you know i'll do this as long as i can and you know if uh, at the very least if i can record some shit that you know somebody in the culture down the road like benefits from then fuck yeah i did i did what i set out to do right. you know and when so all that to say like it's it's imperative for for all of us who who you know, can ha or have this passion to, to tell these stories to, or, or to, you know, collect these stories to get out and do it, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, uh, and, and you also have to respect too, because like uh, coming back to that idea of competition, mm. you can't really compete in something like this because to really have a show grow into something worthwhile, a big part of that, as I'm sure you, you understand is like the person like hosting and telling the story mm. and, and their particular style of storytelling. So like how you tell a story is going to be different ha than how I do it. Right. Right. Like you can geek out on the great migration and its effects uh, on, on contemporary dance and, and culture today. And I can geek out about how like, you know, the groove manifests in a, in a living soul and also ask somebody what their fucking favorite superpower is. Cause that's <laughs> the shit that I, right. And right. I'm off on the side listening, going like, why the fuck did I ask that right. question? Okay. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, what's uh, your favorite superpower? I'm elevating from that though. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. as you've come into the space and made your own mark in it, I'm elevating from that. I'm like, Oh snap, taking notes. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh snap, this is how he does it. This is what he, what's going on. This is what he's asking. Like, this is the vibe that he's creating. Like, that's dope. And so, like, for me, it is, I, I just look at competition a little differently because there's a there's a certain way I look at it that ends up being not healthy for me. Um, oh, and yeah. there ends up being this way that I'm about to explain that it's like, when I see that, I'm like, okay, how do I implement that in my own way, right? And then mm. all of a sudden I become, I use you and what in your work to, be at competition with myself right so for me it's just a constant uh going back and forth seeing what each other is doing elevated and that we're talking about the cypher right now right like oh yeah absolutely just going back and forth seeing the the dopeness that you're putting out that ends up sparking a something in me that has not been sparked before and i end up competing with it to create something quote unquote better i don't even i don't even want to put that in quotes come up with something fresh in my own way um to raise the bar for you to do the same thing back right and yeah. that's how we elevate together so 
Oh, and absolutely. And like, I cannot tell you um, how essential your work has been in a lot of my interviews. Like I've referenced your show uh, quite a few times because inevitably we're going to be interviewing some of the same people. Right. And I was like, oh shit, he talked to Nene. Well, like what did Nene have to say on his? Cause I don't want her to repeat herself. Mm. I don't want her to have to like these stock answers and shit. So, okay. They covered this ground. Cool. I can branch out from here, here, here. And I don't think they covered this. So let's go over here. Right. And it was like, yeah, we, we can collect more of that story together. Right. So it's, it, 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 it's, um, it's just a really fun, fun process, but you mentioned it, yeah, you just brought up the cipher and that that got me um, that reminded me that you recently uh, posted an article that you co-wrote with fellow teacher Jessica Nickel entitled um, a Conditions for Change Reflection, which recapped the online event that you both recently hosted by the same name. So within this article, you talk about a structure that most of us dancers are familiar with that we just got done speaking about the cipher, the jam circle for the uh, Lindy Hopheads. And, uh, you know, the, the circle of the Bantaba, Bantaba. in the Mandinka. Mm -hmm. Bantaba, thank you. I've never heard it out loud. Bantaba in the Mandinka language, mm -hmm. uh, it means the dancing ground. Um, so what, what significance does the cipher hold for you personally? And why did you feel this was important to include in a workshop about structural change? Yeah, yeah, good question. You be on it, yo. I just posted that like yesterday. <laughs> I do my fucking research. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, <laughs> cipher, importance of the cipher. I think there's there's so many aspects to it. Um, I'm I'm there. I had a dream in grad school when I was thinking about the cipher, and for for a project and this dream had like a division, it was like an image outside of myself that was like zero over a hundred and like how that mm. still becomes zero. And like the zero kept getting bigger as it like sucked everything else in it was like a black hole kind of thing. And it was just like, Oh, this sounds like every high school nightmare I've had about <laughs> uh, math class. <laughs> literally literally yeah if it, yeah and so i'm like yo so i wake up from this high school nightmare and mm -hmm. i'm like oh snap like the circle is literally that like the energy that we end up cultivating in that cypher circle is something so powerful that everything else bows to it it goes away mm. it mm. and not to say that we're using it to escape necessarily but we're using it to move through right so that's one aspect that that's kind of just like a spiritual thing for me of the power of the cipher um and on a practical basis there's just like this aspect of The continuity, the individuality and community simultaneously, both being uplifted mm. in such, it's a paradox, right? It's polyrhythmic, it's polycentric, and it's, it's the epitome of those things to me um, in communal form. And so that conversation, that exchange, that communication is something that clearly has carried through the Afrocentric 
um, lineage and for a reason. <laughs> There's plenty of things yeah. that come up and then they disappear. But this has been a constant thing and there's a reason for that so i i just even things i'm not articulating i just believe in it right so then i'm like okay well i know it in this specific context of dance but this is us just expressing together in a specific way what if we keep the same structure and have a different conversation so mm. now this conversation instead of dance is pedagogy. So we end up having this thing on, on Zoom. And that's the other thing. We're not doing it in person with a circle. <laughs> we have a Zoom circle or a Zoom square, right? Um, which we ended up calling a, just a table. Um, yeah. And so we had a, we had a rev up of different things. Uh, different exercises in order to get people comfortable and into the topic that we were we were getting into of um, pedagogical structural change in our classrooms for socially just um, spaces and environments uh, for learning and but at the 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 com- the climax of the thing was us being like okay what is it that we want to want to bring up what is it that we want? What subject do we want to bring up? And a faculty member ends up being like, I'm just interested in how my body ends up and energy ends up exuding into other bodies through this Zoom space. Um, mm. And so she's like reaching her arm out of, of, the, of the box, of the image, and somebody else's arm comes in, right? And so then we we end up just going from there uh, with that concept, keeping in mind this ultimate theme of socially just classrooms. So there's things mm. that start coming up of like, fuck the police. There's things that are coming up of stop killing us. Um, there's, there's white hands being foregrounded in the image. Um, there's uh, a, a crinkling of, my body because of that white image that white hand image um mm. like we're just we're just exchanging and it was weird yo it was weird and it was dope <laughs> and it was it was different it was unique it was fresh it was refreshing it was fulfilling and it was it was changing there was literally i it was it was changing for me i i ended up shifting how i approached my class because of it um and there Mm -hmm. were multiple teachers who who did the same and so i was just like yeah yo like this this cypher construct holds uh just afrocentric value system that can be implemented anywhere uh so it was cool to see that that uh put out into fruition yeah i've been thinking about the cypher a lot um ever since going into that intensive training with uh with professor Locke uh for six weeks because he had this portion of um the training where he was talking about the importance of the cipher and this is a lesson that i passed on to other like newbies when it came to you know their first time in a cipher i got to like give this uh give a little bit of this knowledge um when when i saw that recently and it was that like this is 
a circle of community and the image that he taught was like thinking about uh, a campfire right so the the fire is like the dancer is the fire right and it takes energy like you you have to feed the fire and also mm. you receive the fire's warmth mm. and you know the fire can like you don't have like people feel this need to go out and perform in a cipher and they need they they feel this need to like be amazing and blow everyone away and mm. there's this whole fucking thing and it's like no it doesn't have to be big like flames can grow small or mm. they can be ablaze but it's the 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 important thing is that it doesn't die right wow you know, we as a community keep that fire going. Right, that's good. I like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to. Who you get that from? That was Professor Lot. Uh, yeah, Professor right, Locke. Locke. Right, Professor Locke and Bryce Johnson. Love it. Shout out, shout out, shout out, <laughs> shout out. So I'm most definitely taking that. That's beautiful. And I don't, I don't oh, yeah. remember where I got this from, but there was an image that I was given during a uh, Camille Brown and Dancers um, workshop where. Uh, our, our guide for the day was put us in a, a circle and was just talking about how when we are facing each other, there is no blind spot. So if somebody's coming up behind me, the community, I won't be shocked. The community can see that person coming, sneaking up behind me. And then if I turn around away from the community, I literally feel the support of the circle projecting me out. Damn. And I was like, whoo, like just, just for her to mm-hmm. acknowledge and articulate what is already there in that way is is something that is just happening with me is sparking something that was sparking in me when you're talking about this fire thing. Um, So yeah, there's just so many powerful aspects to it. Yep. And uh, these are the stories that are told to us. And these are the stories that we pass on. And I mean, these are the stories that helped us. And if you listening, if this helps you uh, treasure it, remember it and pass it on. That's how this, that's how, that's how it works. <laughs> um, but coming back to the good foot for a moment. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about how this started. You said this was sort of a, a, a byproduct of your work on the documentary right. uh, building shop. Um, and you said this is something you'd been wanting to do for a while. It was something that, well, for one, I always, I have so many ideas in my head. I have, it's a, it's literally (laughs) work to understand which of them deserve priority in the moment. And so podcasts Mm -hmm. in general have been something that's on my mind because I've been, I've loved podcasts for, for years. Um, But yeah, it was, it was the act of, serving elders and serving the community with building shop that was like oh i see how the podcast ends up playing a role with with uh Uh, telling the telling of street and club dance communities um so so yeah that was probably we ended up 
doing that journey in 2017 to 2008. Wait, is that right? No, that's a lie. Building Shop ended up coming out in early 2019. So that was the the moment where I was like, I want to continue this in some kind of more sustainable way. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you guys uh, went on a pretty like solid stretch. And then in May of last year, like uh, after about a year, year and a half uh, of doing it, like y'all went on hiatus for a while. Um, and you told me that there were like a lot of issues that had gotten raised. Um, and I was wondering if you wanted to speak on any of that now, since we've had a lot of time to think yeah. and reflect. Um, I think Emily probably would be a, uh, person to, to talk to about it. Cause I don't want to put, put words in her mouth. Um, but the one thing that I will say about it is because I, I received in, in part, and I think in essence, what she received as well, um, which is this scrutiny and questioning of why kind of, kind of we have the gall to be speaking about this community and the culture that um, we are guests to. Um, mm. And... I think the the scrutiny is it's real, it's felt uh, by both Emily and I, and we it, we have responded in with being very conscious about that, uh, and we've responded di- in different ways. Mm. But um, both both of our responses have come from that that scrutiny, and so there's been for me personally, there's been a desire to, um, well, honestly, I think at first, Emily was actually kind of like my white shield, um, where she was receiving stuff. And then it was just, it was just me. Mm -hmm. And then I started receiving stuff. Mm -hmm. And once I started receiving it, I did take, I took a break because there was two, there's been two hiatuses. We're actually coming out with a third season uh, at the end of this month, um, which is yeah, so we're talking about skills uh, and how they're how they're cultivated and passed on within our community. Um, so oh, yeah, I'm yes. really excited for that. Uh, but the it's gonna be dope, oh, man. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really hyped for it, yo. Like there's some like crazy behind gems in there. Uh, we got you know King Charles as you mentioned before. We got Rennie Harris. We got a lot of uh, just some beautiful people on there. Um, so. So yeah, after after the second season, the reason the second season stopped was because of the same thing. It was because of the scrutiny. And I mm-hmm. ended up taking it and being like, what stop stop listening to how it's being said and listen to what's being said. Um mm-hmm. and what can you take from this that's beneficial? And what's true? What's true about it? And how do you? And then, then what's not true? What's coming from a place that's not of love? And discard those. Yeah. And so, be discerning. And listen, but ultimately listen, um, with a with a soft heart. 
And uh, from from there, yeah. it was like, okay, let me step back and reconfigure how I'm going to maneuver considering this feedback. And that ended up being, a bit, it was dope because at the end of the day, I ended up writing a, a, a letter to the street and club dance community through my blog. Um, and that was just cathartic and, and needed to, to get all of these feelings and thoughts and concerns and insecurities out on paper. Um, and then it was like, all right, I need to, I need to quote more. I need to let people know where I got information more. Um, right. Exactly. Cite those sources. Um, I need to, or not need, I want to look around to the elders and the peers that I'm connected to in order to, before I move in any way. So for example, I ended up talking to mm. uh, an elder and I'll speak to an elder tomorrow as well about um, putting online courses uh, that use street and club dance community as its basis um, before I do it. And not necessarily, uh, it's, it's just about the, the, the respect and the love that comes from that. Um, more than, again, that to do that thing. Um, and, and so, yeah, uh, that's just an example for how it, that, that scrutiny, um, some, some brought with love and care, some brought with malice and a desire, intention to hurt. Um, I believe, um, mm -hmm. and just like letting letting it, yeah. letting it inform uh, the way the way I walk, letting it inform how I could be better, and I believe it did that. And that is truly fantastic to hear. I mean, it's never easy to um, receive that kind of energy, but as you say, it's very important to listen. Um, especially like speaking in my own capacity as a guest, that's something I take very seriously. And that's something I'm, I'm used to, you know, like just in, in terms of being like one of the first white people to do the style of dance that I do with Chicago footwork being trained by uh, King Charles. Um, you know, there's quite a few people in Chicago that have uh, opinions on that. And I, I can't like, I can't really say that they're wrong. You know, like I understand where they're, you know, what they're trying to say. Um, and I'm very certain if I were in their position, I'd be saying the same shit. Like, I don't take that shit personally. It's one of those like, you know, right. it's important to listen. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to uh, hearing the third season of The Good Foot. I cannot wait uh, for this shit to come out and you let me know man like record a promo send it over I will play it uh, for my you, episodes man. as absolutely. well absolutely of course dude of course um, so in the vein of uh, your capacity as a storyteller as a, as a podcaster um, would you say, and this is something I've noticed in my year long journey since my show came out um, in 2020, the more 
elders and masters that I have been blessed with the privilege of speaking with and, and collecting their stories. Uh, it's actually mm. affected the way I move for me personally. It's affected the way I dance. It's made me a more honest dancer. Um, and it's helped me to understand a lot of things about how I move through the world that I would have mm -hmm. never understood before this. So I'm wondering if you've noticed any similar effects since you have, you know, been able to interview so many elders yourself. Right. Yeah. In short, absolutely. It, it completely informs how I move through life in general and thus how I move through dancing. Um, and I'm thinking of, I'm thinking about the the surface level research that I've done with that whole like great migration and forming Afro-Usonians moving to different parts of the country, but one being Oakland in the Bay Area. And mm -hmm. how the Black Panther movement ended up, the Black Panther Party ended up informing or coming up in conjunction with the Boogaloo scene and how they ended what their mm -hmm. conversation was and as i'm researching that and i'm like oh snap like the military the militarism that the black panther party had and how that's influencing the boogaloo style and the marching band kind of um culture and way and aesthetic and how that's influencing, um, that totally informs my popping, right? I want to take a second to shout out Jet from Kinjas, who said that uh, politics doesn't belong in dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, no, that not fucking that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm. I'm for those who don't know, I'm I'm referencing a, a train wreck of an interview that came out uh, on Instagram um, last wow. year. But that's that's a topic know, for yeah, a whole other show. But yeah, out. it's it's just this this phenomenon where um, dancers in the commercial scene, or you know, just non-black dancers in our scene will talk about keeping the politics out of dance as if they weren't intimately intertwined, as if politics didn't spawn the dance and inform the dance. And it's ludicrous, especially given like the, the widespread um, protest movements within just the last year, you right. know, search. If you're not um, listening to these stories, then you are missing out. You're missing out the whole fucking point that there's no context in what you're doing. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And yeah, I, I think the whole aspect of separating and dividing and compartmentalizing uh, the, the politics, the social aspects from the, the dance is, it's, it's very Eurocentric. It's a Eurocentric aesthetic. Um, and it has permeated our uh, mainstream culture in many ways and mainstream philosophy in many ways. So it's, it's not surprising that people are coming from that perspective. And that's why hearing that kind of thing is like, okay, this is exactly why we have to do what we do. 
in order to to give that other perspective that we believe in as well yeah and i mean it's astounding too because like when it comes to like non-white dancers who are spouting the uh keep politics out of dance thing right like it's it's hard when people who actually do know systemic racism and do understand like you know oppression and and all that can't see when it when they are i guess supporting anti-blackness you know in an art form that they claim to love right and it's uh, also you know i don't (laughs) there's not much i can say on that i'm completely you know i'm i'm an outside observer in many in pretty much all respects but that is something troubling um because it affects people i love within the culture Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's um it's something that has existed that does exist and will likely in the at least in the foreseeable future continue to exist and it's like i know i have my share fair of fair share sorry (laughs) of thoughts regarding how ticked off that makes me Mm. um fair and at the end of the day i come back to similar conclusions of use this feeling to do the work Mm. let it inspire you Mm. um because otherwise it's going to just continue to perpetuate until enough of us do the work for it not to perpetuate anymore um, so it's like, you know, gotta hit them with the Gandhi, you know, be the change, right? Um, is it Gandhi that said that? Yeah, and also Gandhi was like a horrible person, we're coming to find out. Like, I used to live with uh, someone whose family came from India, and like, uh-huh. yeah, they uh, Gandhi engaged in a lot of abhorrent behaviors. Like, there wouldn't be a fucking India Pakistan divide, from what I understand, if it weren't yeah. for him. Um, and and I also, was like, I got to do some research. Man. There's also yeah. a lot of allegations of like um, improper behavior uh, when it comes to young women, mm. and that's putting it extremely, extremely lightly. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, essentially assault. So uh, that said, I myself am not a historian, so I cannot speak definitively to the fact. But I've been talking to more Indian people that. Um, indian americans that uh, really despise the man but yeah, that yeah, said you yeah, know like you. having that full three um fully faceted view of someone in history you know like understanding the great things that they did and also understanding the parts of them that um were dark yeah, yeah. because who amongst us don't have those you know uh, yeah exactly i i think it's i think it's uh that's just wise. I think it's just wise because I'm just thinking, bringing it back to the street and club dance community. Like, Oh, thank God. Thank you for keeping us on topic. (laughs) Hey, Oh God. I I do this. I do this a little bit too, bro. (laughs) I got you, fam. (laughs) I appreciate it. Oh, a lifeline. Sorry. Bringing it back to the, bringing it back to the point of the show. Go on. It's it's this thing of like, we've, we've been having a lot of allegations recently. In regards to to sexual harassment and and assault, yes, and assault. Thank you. And it's like, and, and with at least some from who I've heard it have been very influential in our community and our culture in positive ways. 
Um, and so it's like, yeah, when I, when I witness that thing, I'm like, and I witness the response to the negativity, it's like, you know, we're, we're in the age of cancel culture in a lot of ways. And that ends up being exemplified in these examples of these sexual assault and sexual allegation things. And in no way do I agree or stand in support of anything that they did. Um, and I also recognize the, the positive aspects that they brought to um, that both kind of going back into this cipher thing of the polycentrism of it, the paradox upholding both of them, that the light and the dark both do that too. Um, and then, and for me as a response, I'm like, how are we helping these people to shift more towards that light um, versus completely disregarding them altogether? Well, for so. that, I mean, in that respect, and I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, uh, there needs to be a place for restorative justice. Absolutely. Yeah. But unfortunately, that can't come until the people who have seriously harmed uh, vulnerable uh, people and survivors in our community, until those people come clean, um, that's not, you know, it's putting the cart before the horse. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Like, the, you know, um, yeah, like we do have to have like a, a complete view of somebody, but at the same time, like it's easier to do that with somebody who's already passed on, you know, but with mm. somebody who's alive, who is uh, showing up to events currently, who is still making money and still uh, perpetuating uh, and perpetrating abuse yeah. on, mm -hmm. on women and kids. Oh, and, oh mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes males as well. Like it, that is a, uh, a horse of a very different color, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. And, and for me, like, I'm very much, um, I I've spoken on this a few times before, uh, on the show, but I have done work in, um, uh, self-defense, uh, education mm -hmm. in regards to women and kids. Um, and I've worked with a lot of survivors of, uh, mm -hmm. sexual assault and, like everything I've learned in that process, like has led me to the stance that if you tell me that you were, that you survived this horrific thing, I'm going to believe you unqualified. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out that was not true, then that's on you. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's not on me. I, I will not feel ashamed. Right. Because the instances of false reporting are so, so infinitesimally small as to be like a non-factor. Right. You know, and so like there recently was a B girl that came out. I forget what her freaking name is, and I feel so bad about this. Um, I might have to edit that in. We'd like to give a shout out to B girl Integrity, who authored the piece we're talking about in this portion. I'm including a link to her work in the show notes for those who are interested. It is never easy to talk about surviving assault. And we commend and support her for standing in her truth. Much respect. Uh, but she recently uh, wrote an article on her blog last week talking about how a very prominent member of uh, the yeah. USA break-in organization um, yeah, assaulted her 10 years ago. Yeah. And you get, you know, you have all these guys in the community who have never been assaulted, who do not know the horror and the hell that it, it, it takes to come back from something like that, saying like, well, you know, why did, 
why is it coming out just now? Why is it this? Why is it that? You know, trying to poke holes in all this shit. And I'm like, motherfucker, Mm -hmm. until you've had that experience, until you've had years of therapy just to be able to admit it to yourself, let alone somebody else, like back up back back the fuck up (laughs) yeah sorry i i go on huge trains when it comes to stuff like that because that's very much like i i know many people in my own personal life who've survived it um and it's it's maddening that it's this common yeah yeah no it is it is it's it's baffling it's absolutely baffling um and i 100 percent agree with everything everything that you're saying especially this aspect of the continuation of the perpetration and the continuation of the the philosophy that brought you to do these things it's like if there if there is not a complete 180 <laughs> um and a a the uh an asking for forgiveness and a proving the walk of reconciliation. What I said doesn't, I have, <laughs> I'm assuming that in what I said. Yeah, yeah, um, no, and that, so, that's the thing. I didn't want, I, I don't want to imply that I didn't think that. It's one of those things that like, when we talk about this stuff, we have to be crystal clear that absolutely. about exactly what it is that we're saying, because we don't want to perpetuate harm. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's, essential pillars of the community have done horrible things. Africa Bambada is a core to, to hip hop. Right. And this culture would be entirely different without him um, drastically. And at the same time, you know, he harmed many young men um, in ways that, you know, it, it, you can, yeah. in, In just horrible ways. So yeah, we have to, we have to take honest views of that. Facts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Okay. I mean, this is a sober <laughs> interview, but uh, after I get have, off, I have might have one of those. Do you have yeah. one of those like songs to like? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. You expressed an interest in gardening. How's that going? No. Oh. <laughs> Um, nice weather outside yeah isn't it um 64 in sunny oh balmy um (laughs) so yeah no i mean we that's that's part and parcel of the show we're gonna dip into some really serious shit uh thanks everyone who is still listening and hasn't switched the show off we appreciate (laughs) you um if you could interview any dancer who's no longer with us who would you interview and why i think I would, not I think, I would love to interview Marjorie Smart. Yep. That was mine too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, two of them, and I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to let you finish. But like for, yeah, it's, it's between her and uh, Frankie Manning. So it really depends yeah. on like two different, like the vintage and the modern sides of street dance. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, was, those... I was thinking Sammy Davis Jr. at first. Ooh. Um, yes, sir. But, but Marjorie, I think, uh, rest in peace. Um, yep, is just like I can still feel. I'm I'm a little more conscious about the remnant remnant that she has left, and like how I'm a little more conscious about how I stand on her shoulders, mm-hmm. just in how I hear elders and peers talk about who she was and what she brought to the space. 
and yeah. how they seek to uplift her spirit by doing the same. And just to witness the light that protrudes from people's eyes as they speak about her is something I'm like, yeah. It's palpable. It is. Like you can't, it, going to New York and, and talking with anybody in the scene who knew her, like you can't help but be struck by the impact that she still carries. Right. Right. You know, she's inseparable from the scene. Right. Facts. And like, not just, not just a specific scene, right? Like from the culture, house, <laughs> like in general. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And, and to, you talked about Africa Bimbada earlier and yeah. just how it wouldn't, the scene, the, the culture, the community would not be what it is if it wasn't for Africa Bimbada's contribution, like I literally feel in not knowing, having any idea about Marjorie or reading a book about her life or seeing documentaries on anything. Like I have some of that from for African Bimbada, but not having those things with Marjorie, I just feel that it is just as strong of a magnitude with her impact on the dance scene here nationally globally um and i just i i I would be so like i'm sitting here like just feeling the weight of the spirit of like whoa Mm. like i would i would be so super honored to be able to understand how that came to be from her mouth god yeah and i mean just talk to like Fuck, I had Seku on last year, you know, and asked asked him about her. And just the stuff that he said, like, made me tear up for someone that I've never met. Facts. You know? So, yeah, okay. Well, we're in total agreement on that one. Uh, I was like, yo, come on. In sync. <laughs> Let's go. Rest in power, Marjorie Smarsh. Um, okay, so just two more, if you don't mind. Not at all. All right, solid. So... You dream of a hip-hop university. Do you believe there's a way to bring this dynamic art form into an institution that it, that is defined by rigid structure? And do you ever worry about what it means to codify art within academic standards? Yes and no. Um, Hit me. The first part, no to the second. Um, and I might have to hear the second question again. Um, okay. But... It's already. I, I say yes because it's already been done. Yeah, Stretch, Stretch did it, um, and did it excellently. And to me, it's it's not. It's about it's about the people. To me, it hip hop is about the people. Street mm. club dance is about the people. So wherever the people go, so does the culture. And if the people end up going into academic spaces and they are true to themselves and true to the ideals and value systems of the culture, it will shift the culture of the, of the academic space. Um, so, so yes. And then what was the second part? Oh, just, um, do you ever worry about what it means to codify art within academic standards? Got it. Uh, okay. Sorry. Yes to that. I do worry about it. Um, I think about it a lot. 
solid. And sorry, I'm th- sorry, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> cool. Great. Next question. Great one word answer. <laughs> well, while you think about it, while you think about it, I, I I'm gonna circle back to the first part of it. And cool. like I had to ask that question just because my experience with academia, my experience uh, with higher education really wasn't that great. Um and this was before I was even conscious of like, yeah, you know, this, these are institutions um, preserving and upholding Eurocentrism and whiteness and white privilege and white supremacy. So even though I didn't, yeah. That's because you went to freaking Iowa, son. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. This is true though. (laughs) That do be facts though. Um, But I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like, you know, I'm, I'm before I even had any sort of consciousness about that. Like I just, I hated how academia just took this um, took a lot of like living, breathing things and just trapped it under glass until it suffocated and died, you know? And so for me, like I do get scared of this, this, you know, whenever these, these things, this thing that I love interacts with this thing that I haven't had a great experience with, I get very cynical about it, but you are right. Like it is already happening. And I believe Michelle Bird said the same, something to the same effect because she's, you know, uh, a master educator in in her own right. Mm -hmm. But she was talking about like their need to be uh, more black people in these spaces. There need to be black bodies and black voices and you know, the, the more that get involved and the more those stories are told and the more of that spirit is brought in, you're right. Like it, it inevitably must change the, the institution. Right. Right. Because the institution fucking needs to be changed. That, that part, I will, I will die on that fucking hill. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, And like, it's a matter of whether you are an infiltrator or a demolisher. Are you infiltrating the space and shifting from the inside or are you building something outside of the institution and the institutional mindset based off of Eurocentrism to knock down that those other institutions? And so as far as the like whole hip hop university thing, even the the name university, like I, I even I the only reason I even call it a university is because I don't know what it is. And that's the closest thing to how I could name it. But I have, I know it's some kind of educational space Mm. that ends up uplifting practitioners of the community and the culture and financially uplifts practitioners who are coming from impoverished states. Mm. Um, And so so yeah, I the the whole thing to what you were saying at the end there of this needs to shift, this needs to change. Ultimately, we are in 100% agreement there. And yes, just like Michelle is saying, shout out Michelle, what's up? Shout um, out Michelle. <laughs> just like Michelle was saying, it's like we need people with different philosophies to come into those spaces if they're going to shift. Otherwise, they won't. Um, so I think there's there's room for both and as far as the infiltrator and the demolisher. And it's only really through that togetherness that a, a sustainable shift is going to happen anyway, in my belief. True. 
Okay, solid. So I guess the final... Actually, did we ever answer that uh, question about uh, codifying art? Oh, no, we didn't. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, All right. Codification, do I worry about it? Yes, I worry about it. Um, it's, once again, a concept of like how like what is codification and defining how different people of different cultures define that word because Mm -hmm. even in street and club dance there's codification happening right when we talk about a set let i mean breaking i'm not even going to go to breaking because it's so codified in many ways (laughs) um but let's just take let's just take house right that the prominence of the loose legs that movement is a codification the labelization of a certain sequence of steps is a codification process right mm. so there i think there's there's some notions about what codification means when we're not really talking like we're not clarifying how it's defined in a specific conversation so i think we end up going into oh codification ah like academic ah like white ah bad and it's like (laughs) well we're kind of all doing it Mm. and it's just what is our relationship to it and so we have conversations about that. Um, we can then maneuver that into, well, infiltrate that into the academic space where codification looks a different way. Yeah, I think in in regards to where I'm coming from, I look at it a lot like um, dance being considered like a language, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the codified like English, the Queen's English, this idea of a proper vocabulary where this only means this and that only means that. And then you have uh, African-American vernacular English, right? Which for a long time was considered not English or like just not, you know, not proper language, uh, derivative or um, uneducated or low class or this or that. And so that's sort of the angle I'm coming from where like, if you get it to this point of like it, it, everything is crystallized and unchanging, right. Then the art itself can't really grow or evolve or breathe. Right. Do I make sense? (laughs) You are. are. And the, the very first thing that I heard from you was this concept of it's creating something creating a language that is just like this it does not change Mm. right that moment that's not about codification that's about a philosophy that informs the way you codify Mm. this whole thing that you ended up going into about a different way of codification coming from black and brown bodies and that philosophy is something that gets devalued because of racism and colonialism Mm. and the perpetration of those things and the uplifting of those things. That's not about codification specifically, right? Mm. Codification is kind of a victim of the philosophies that 
are being held by the majority culture in order to devalue another. Mm. But both both cultures are using codification in just different ways. Now, for me, it's important to be able to understand the different ways they are being, they are using codification and uplift both. Mm. Right. That's, that's where I'm coming from. Okay. Well, I'm really glad we circled back to get that answer. (laughs) Because yeah. it gives me a lot to think about and it gives me um, something to chew on for a while. And I promise y'all at home, I am going to chew on this for quite a while. Yeah, yo, let me <laughs> let's continue. This is this is just a moment, yo. Let's continue the conversation because I think especially stuff like this is it's so important and for us to move through and understand each other's perspective, not necessarily to agree, but to just under, to understand and have a fuller view of the way our community looks at this stuff. Absolutely. And I'm very much looking forward to the next time we're able to link up and and chat about it. Um, But in the meantime, uh, I think I have time for one more question if you're game. Yeah, yo, bring it in. All right, solid. And this is my uh, scrape the bottom of the pot question. Uh, (laughs) So you might already know what's coming, but what did I miss? What is one question that you've always wanted to be asked? Or conversely, what is one answer that you have always wanted to give? An answer, an answer that I've always wanted to give and that I seek to always give is <laughs> and slash but God. Um, that at the end of the day, God's love, God's mercy, God's grace is the thing that I stand upon. We talked about Marjorie and, um, and a whole, our elders and the, the shoulders we stand upon. And at the end of the day, I'm like, God's love is is the foundation to all of that um Mm. i truly believe god is good and good is god and so everything that comes from us that is good to me i look at it as god so that that is the 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 answer that i always want to to come back to and i can very much appreciate that mr q for christ (laughs) in the name (laughs) In the name. No shame about it. It's no, so you should never like be people... ashamed about your conviction. I mean, unless oh, yeah, you're convicted man. to horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I love the caveat there. I love the caveat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, um, it's so funny. People are like, I, I've never been called, actually called Q for Christ. And so it's hilarious to like witness people actually using that as like a nickname. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay cool i love it i'll take it i'll take it (laughs) so yeah it's a it's a very interesting that name is just a very interesting journey that people have told me like especially in academia like you should shift it to a more generic thing and a more professional thing and i'm like that no that never felt right and i'm so glad that i didn't i didn't shift that that a boy gotta be true to yourself um so, uh, anything else you want to leave the audience with before we bounce? I'm interested to to hear to hear your answer to that last question. Oh, uh, which one? The what have I always wanted to be asked? What have you wanted to be be asked? Motherfucker! You'd figure I've been asking this for a year, and I never thought about it myself. I think it always changes. Yeah. Oh, way to. I think, yeah, you're the only person to spin it back on me. <laughs> hey, I got to give it to Sekou, yo. Like when I was, 
creating the podcast. Because mm-hmm. but he was like, why don't you ever have the, why don't you ever switch the roles as far as the egalitarian aspect of it? I was like, see, this is why, this is why you is who you is, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I got to give him credit for that. Um. Okay. Well, I think this is a truth that I came to very recently, actually, um, through a, a prolonged period of uh, pain and suffering over some, you know, the death of a relationship and uh, the mourning process and all that. And I, two or three people um, in my life have heard me uh, talk about this, uh, but I'll come out with it. So I think I made this realization of why I consider myself a storyteller or what drew me to storytelling. And that is that I grew up never feeling really at home anywhere. Mm. Um, I never felt uh, like I was speaking the same language as someone else, as anyone else. Like I didn't really belong, you know, like um, it's just weird. Like I, I just always feel like a foreigner, you know? Um, and I'm more comfortable with that now as an adult, but as a child, it was very, um, stressful and, um, uh, yeah, painful. So I think what drew me to storytelling in all its facets, uh, acting, um, drawing, writing, um, podcasting, dancing was that I think it was this attempt that like, if I could find the right combination of words if i could find the right way of saying it or right way of telling the story or just the the right way of moving that maybe i could finally be understood and wouldn't feel by myself Hmm. and i think that's kind of like it took a lot of pain for me to land on this like essential truth about myself. And it's weird saying it on a platform that is going <laughs> to this level of distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's very true. I, I think that's something that has been a driving force for me. And I am still exploring what that means. Yeah. 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 That's brave. Yo, thank you. so um with that said uh how can the folks at home follow uh what you're doing and keep track of you yeah i uh, appreciate you giving me the space to to do that um you could ig q for christ c-u-e number four c-h-r-i-s-t um if you're interested in knowing the nuances of what i'm doing uh hit me up and send me your email and i'll uh send you an email to to listserv and that's just a place where i get into the nitty-gritty aspects of what i feel called to do and how uh, my community can support me in doing that so uh either way uh if you feel like you want feel it on your heart to to support hit me up ig is pretty pretty good 
And also, folks, as always, uh, with every member of the community that comes on to this show, his payment information, his link is in the show notes. Um, if you believe in what the man is doing, if you want to support him, if you want to support our lovely sister show, the Good Foot Podcast, uh, please go in there and uh, kick a donation his way. Every little bit helps. There is no donation too small. Appreciate you, Rob. This has been Absolutely. a pleasure, man. The pleasure has been mine. Um, excited for the uh, for when we get to get to catch up and, and jam a little bit in person, man. I'm oh yeah, baby. I'm almost yeah. We those vaccines are rolling out. They're we're rolling fucking. Out. We're we're closer. We're closer. Um, so everyone at home with the drinks left in the glass, uh, please raise them to the sky in the final toast of the show, which is to the end of the world. End of the world. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. Ooh, so, um, my guest today has been the esteemed uh, Keelan Q. Arnold, uh, co-host and co-creator of the Good Foot Podcast. Please keep an eye out for season three coming at the end of April 2021. He's got a lot of great shit that he has been planning for quite some time. Um, bigger, better, and just continuing that... Uh, um, spirit of uplifting the community, the raw and real for the communal ideal. Please check them out. Please support, subscribe. Um, and yeah, I'm your humble host, uh, Rob Celtic, and we are signing off. We will endure, we will grow, and we will overcome. God bless. Thanks. God bless. This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers. That's F-T-H-R-S. You can find his new album floating on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash drinkingandance and donate for early episode releases, bonus episodes, personal shoutouts, and more. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to like, favorite, and follow on Spotify and Anchor. We'll see you next time.